But among you there must, be, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure or greedy person, such man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, good evening. Let me pray as we come to God's word. Father God, we thank you and praise you for the great privilege we have of gathering here this evening. We thank you for the privilege of hearing your word. And we ask that as we listen to it tonight, that you might speak to us, that we might be transformed by your love. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1741, Jonathan Edwards wrote a letter to a young woman. Jonathan Edwards was an American pastor and theologian. And this is what he wrote. My dear young friend, as you desired me to send to you in writing some directions of how to conduct yourself as a Christian, I will now answer that request. The sweet remembrance of the great things that I've lately seen at your church inclines me to do anything in my power to contribute to the spiritual joy and prosperity of God's people there. Aren't they lovely, warm words? I'll do anything in my power to help you conduct yourself as a Christian. That's my genuine desire. I want to see you Conduct yourself as a Christian and see what it is to have spiritual joy and understand the prosperity of belonging to God. He continues like this. Pray that your eyes may be opened, that you may receive sight, that you may know yourself and be brought to God's footstool. 
and that you may see the glory of God and Christ and have a love for Christ shed abroad in your heart. Such warm and inviting words, such words of instruction that help this young woman conduct her life in a Christian way. Well, as we come to Ephesians this uh, this evening, what we see is that Paul, as a pastor and a theologian, is trying to instruct us and encourage us to conduct ourselves properly as Christians, to conduct ourselves appropriately. Now, in doing so, he will point out that we are called to live a life of love, to live as children of light, and to live not as unwise but as wise. Now, that concept of live there is is the idea of conducting yourself, of conducting yourself appropriately. It also has the notion with it of walking. It's kind of a theology for pedestrians, if you like. Uh, Walk in these ways. Live in these ways. Now, of course, the reason that Paul is urging us to live in this way is because of the wealth of God's grace the wealth of God's grace towards us. And so we see in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, these words, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We have received God's grace. We have received the wealth of God's grace if we have followed him and devoted ourselves to him. And we are called, therefore, as part of this dearly loved, as part of being dearly loved children, to be imitators of the Father. We've been adopted into God's family. We're meant to start walking like our Father. I don't know whether you've ever been. Uh, somewhere where you've seen a father and son walk together and you perhaps don't know them, but as soon as you see them starting to walk, uh, I see it often at weddings actually, fathers and sons sort of walking off in the distance and they have the same gait, they have the same way of moving and the same way of uh, approaching people. It's, it's quite weird really. And yet of course that's what happens when you conduct yourself, when you live with someone, when you uh, are with someone over many, many years you start to take on their traits. You start to behave in the way that they do. You start to walk in the way that they do. And Paul is saying here, as people who are dearly loved children, be imitators of God. Walk in the ways of God. Conduct yourself appropriately. Well, he has a number of things that he wants to say about the way we should conduct ourselves. Some of them will be things that we shouldn't do. Others will be things that he wants to encourage us to do. And then finally, we'll also notice what doing those things means in terms of our lives together. So what does walking in the conduct that God calls us to look like? How do we conduct ourselves appropriately? Well, let's look at some of the prohibitions first. You'll see in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3, that there is improper conduct for those who follow the Lord Jesus. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed. 
because these are improper for God's holy people. We're prohibited from walking this way because it's not proper for God's holy people to walk in this way. Now, it's interesting, if you look down a little bit further, you'll notice that this kind of behaviour is seen as idolatry. It's a way of behaving in, in such a way that says we worship something other than God. We are called idolaters if we behave in this way. Verse, chapter 5, verse 5. No immoral, impure or greedy person, such, as a, such a man, is an idolater and they do not have an inheritance with the kingdom of Christ and of God. The reason we're not to walk this way is because it means that we're worshipping something else other than God. What does it mean, though, to not even have a hint of sexual immorality? Well, the standard that God sets is very high. The standard that God sets for sexual behaviour is very high. And yet it creates, and, and it creates, rather, lots of controversy. Take, for example, what's said in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. This is the standard for sexual behaviour. A man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Leaving the family home, being united, that is married, and then as a result of that, they will become one flesh. The picture here is of sexual activity, sexual intercourse within the confines of marriage. Now that is very strange news to people's ears these days. How can sexual activity be confined to marriage? How come that sounds strange to us? Well, I think it's because of the way we've started thinking about sexual intercourse. In our current view, we see sex as a natural appetite. It's called sexual realism, if you like. And it means that, well, we see ourselves as having appetites like wanting to eat. And when we want to eat, we need to feed. And so we go and find food. And we know that there is uh, sort of confines to that. We know that we, can't, uh, we shouldn't overeat and we shouldn't eat bad things all the time. But it's, we should eat and so therefore we feed ourselves. And so very often we see sex as a natural appetite something to be fed. We also see it as a part of our self-fulfillment. To express yourself sexually is to discover yourself, to find yourself, to find out who you are. And then finally, in terms of the way we think about where we should conduct um, our sexual intimacies... We think of it in terms of love. If we're really in love with the person, then it's appropriate we should act this way. That's the touchstone. Do you really love them is the question. The biblical view is vastly different. It says that 
while we might have sexual appetites, our sexual desires are broken. They can't always be trusted. We need to examine them and think about them and and regulate them. Not just in terms of appetite, but in terms of the appropriateness of them. We see our identity as in Christ, found in Christ. You see, if our identity is found in the self-fulfillment of sexual appetites, then it means that every single person is less than complete. Are we really saying that Jesus is less than complete as a human? Of course not. It doesn't make any sense. We find our identity in Christ. And in the end, it's not the love between one another that is the first touchstone, but it is the love of God and his ways that is the touchstone for our relationships and the appropriateness of sexual activity. Now that sounds vastly different to the world that we live in. This commitment, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh, sounds strange to our ears. But Paul says activity outside of that is sexually immoral. And there ought not to be even a hint of sexual immorality for the person who is conducting themselves in a way that is appropriate. For a person who's been transformed by the love of God. Now, interestingly enough, he applies that almost straight away by thinking about foolish talk and coarse joking. Clearly, in his, in his day, as in ours, jokes about sex, coarse language about sex, were all around. And it's quite challenging to think about this in terms of uh, the world that we live in. I find one of the most difficult places is when I listen to comedians. I don't mind turning on the TV and watching comedians. I think it's great fun. It's kind of a, a really nice thing to do at the end of the day. But I must admit, I actually have to turn it off sometimes because, or at least turn to another channel because there's, there's this, this impurity, this, this coarse joking, this foolish talk about sexuality that undermines it and degrades people. And I want to be committed to conducting myself in a godly way. I want to conduct myself appropriately. Of course, it has other implications as well. I think this passage tells us that there really is no room for people living together before they get married. Now, I I recognise that that sounds extremely challenging. And I recognise that for some people, as they become Christians and realise that, they will then change their behaviour and become married. But there really is no room for living together if we're not going to have a hint of sexual immorality. I also don't think there's room for going away together on holidays as a couple 
by yourselves. Now, I appreciate that going overseas in a large group of people might be appropriate, but the idea of going away just together leaves questions from those around you. Maybe you're able to cope, but it leaves a question mark. Is there a hint of sexual immorality in this relationship? Now, what I'm saying, I know, is extremely challenging and quite difficult. But being transformed by the grace of God calls us to a different life, to conduct ourselves appropriately in the way that God has called us to. Now, of course, uh, Paul mentions a number of other things, and one of them is greed. And in mentioning greed, uh, he says this, you must not have any hint of greed. Now, what, what are we talking about here? How do, how do we, might we define this? Well, Brian Rosner um, has written a book called Beyond Greed, worth a read. And he defines greed like this. Wanting more money and possessions, uh, the opposite of contentment, and the refusal to share your possessions. Uh, You might remember the story of the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10, where Jesus um, was confronted by a young man who ran up to him and said, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus asked him, Why do you call me good? He says, Well, no no one is good except for God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, I have kept all these since I was a boy. Then Jesus looks at him and loves him and says, One thing you lack. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have a treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this the man's face fell, and he went away sad because he had great wealth. It's a picture of a man who's greedy, who's wanting more and more of money and possessions, who's not content with what he has, and who's refusing to share his possessions with others. Now, I guess there's many ways in which we could think about greed in our own lives. It was interesting to hear our tier representative uh, last week talk about enough is enough. The idea that we live in one of the richest countries in the world and we are some of the richest people in the world. And the idea of materialism and the fact that we keep gaining more and more and more and that we need at some point to say enough is enough to be content with what we have. Of course, I see it in other places as well. Australians are known for their gambling did you know in the last couple of or the last year, Australians spent over nineteen billion dollars in gambling? Twelve billion of that was devoted to playing the pokies. According to the research, five hundred thousand Australians are at risk of becoming problem gamblers. The social cost to us as a nation is $4.7 billion a year.
It's insidious. Gambling is about not being content with what you have. About wanting more and more in terms of money and possessions. It's about saying, well, I need more. I need more. Now, for me, this has been something that I've had to really think about throughout my life. If I'm not going to be greedy and there's going to be no hint of greediness in my life, what is that going to look like, particularly in regards to things like gambling? From very early on, I decided I would never buy raffle tickets because I think they're a form of gambling. You're trying to get something for nothing. Now, that's got me into all kinds of trouble. I once belonged to a rowing club. I know it doesn't look like it, but I was once in a rowing club. And they decided that they wanted us to sell tickets to raise money for the club. Quite a normal thing to do. And I said to the organiser of the, um, the raffle, etc., um, look, I don't want to be involved. I'm happy just to give you the money for the tickets. Like, I don't, I, don't give me the raffle tickets. I'll just give you the money. He was absolutely furious. How dare I not sell raffle tickets on their behalf? It was quite extraordinary. I was completely taken by surprise. You've got the money, mate. What are you worried about? Now, for me, that's making sure that there's no hint of greediness about my behaviour. It's worth thinking about, isn't it? Because if we want to conduct ourselves appropriately... As a result of God's grace, we want no hint of greed in our lives. And so it's good to ask those questions about how we live and what we do with our money and with our time. Well, Paul has been talking about some of the things that we shouldn't do. Um, how, how should we further now conduct ourselves? Well, Paul goes on to say some other things about living a life of love as children of light and as people who are unwise, oh, sorry, not as unwise people, but as wise people. And he says this a little bit later on in verse 8. For you were once darkness, but you are now light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of light, and gee, isn't that a mixed metaphor? The fruit of light is goodness, righteousness, and truth. Now, the goodness there is, can be used in the sense of generosity. The fruit of life is being generous with others, being kind to others with all that God has given us. The notion of righteousness is right behavior before God and before other people. And the idea of truth, well, in chapter 4, we saw the notion of speaking in truth. And I think Paul is also thinking about the idea of the way we speak with one another and those outside. And so a little bit later on, he talks about in verse 18, being filled with the Spirit and speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I always think that's a really funny statement there. I feel like you almost need to be a rap artist because you've got to speak to one another in a psalm and hymn. I'm not going to do rap, okay? I'm going to save you from that. But do you, how do you speak to one another in psalms? Don't you sing to one another? Anyway, 
I think we get the point. The point is we are to be full of language that reflects what the Bible has to say. Our praises are to be thankful for what God has done for us. We are to focus on God and others in the way we conduct ourselves, in the truth that we speak. Our lives are to be so filled with what God has had to say that we naturally speak to others in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs in in ways that reflect the fact that we are imitating the Father, that we are conducting ourselves appropriately, that we are being shaped by his grace. And one of the interesting things to think about is what does what happens if we conduct ourselves this way? If we refuse to do certain things and we act in ways that are consistent with godliness. Well, Ephesians 5 verses 3 to 14 give us a particular insight into what is the impact of being that light, of conducting ourselves appropriately. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. Now one of the interesting things is that as we conduct ourselves in a way that reflects God's grace, as we conduct ourselves in that way, we actually shine the light of God, the light of Christ, on others, on what others are doing. We make visible what else is taking place, both in, within, in our own community and those communities around us. That's a really interesting thought, isn't it? And I think sometimes it's actually one of the reasons that persecution comes. Because as a Christian behaves and conducts themselves in the way that they should, others around them might say, we don't like that behaviour. It shines a light on our behaviour. Please go away. We don't want a light shined on our behaviour. But Paul also says another thing which is actually quite encouraging. He quotes from Isaiah chapter 26 and he says this, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now, it's an interesting kind of turn of phrase that he's used there. But I think what he's trying to say is, as the light shines on others, others may wake up. Others may actually see the light, see the light of Christ understand who Jesus is and rise from the dead, become born again. And Christ will shine on you. As a result of our behaviour and our conduct, it is possible that others start to recognise who Jesus is. Now, of course, they need to come to him themselves But there is this wonderful picture that as we conduct ourselves appropriately, so others will see the light and may wake up and turn to the light of Christ. Now, I think that's really exciting. And I want to tell you why. It's really exciting because it makes us a very different kind of community a really alternate society, a really alternate different, group, different 
um, group of people where sex and money and power are used in life-giving ways that are celebrated, that are embraced in godly ways that differ sharply from those around us who may not follow God. We can be a beacon of God's grace. A community of God's people being a beacon of God's grace in this community. And I think that's wonderful. So this evening, I want to encourage you to conduct yourselves appropriately. Live a life of love. Live as children of light. And live not as unwise, but as those who are wise. Amen. If you'd like to follow up either of those issues uh, in terms of sexuality, I have a really good article on the gospel and sex by Tim Keller. If you'd like to email me, I'll email that to you. And if you want to know something about Beyond Greed, come and speak to me afterwards or tell me on the communication cards as well. Thank you.